As we continue on in our study of the first 10 verses, this is the third week in our study of uh, a title that I've given, I Am the Door. But the last two weeks, we haven't really gotten there yet. We've learned a little bit more about the character of Jesus as a shepherd. Uh, but today we will focus our attention on Jesus as the door. What brought us to this particular chapter was the increasing animosity and opposition to the person and work of Jesus, to the message of Jesus. The opposition coming, of course, from the religious leadership of Israel. In particular, the Pharisees who were following Jesus around, looking for every reason to attack him, to downplay his message and his work. But much of the reason that they were doing this was because they were blind, blind to the truth. And at the end of chapter 9, when Jesus, after Jesus has healed a man born blind since birth, and he heals him and gives him sight, much of what is said to the Pharisees at that time was that they were blinder spiritually than that man had ever been blind physically. And were missing the understanding of the scriptures as it pertained to the Messiah who had every credential that he needed to be Messiah. The credentials were those things that we talked about last week. His virgin birth, his birth, his birth in Bethlehem, and, and a few other things that we mentioned. His miracles, the things that he did, along with the things that he said. So as we enter into, entered into chapter 10, Jesus continues to speak directly to these Pharisees. And he said this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And what he was saying to them was, I'm the shepherd, I'm the, I'm the true shepherd that enters by the door and you're the thieves and the robbers. And that was not only emphasized but, but uh, solidified in the very fact that going all the way back to chapter 8 where Jesus has called them the sons of the devil. He says, you're like your father the devil who is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And those were his words to these religious leaders. So obviously this continues on in his, in, in his uh, statements to them. And he says, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So now he's using this, this parable to show them what they were in comparison to him. And then it says to him being the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. 
And when he putteth forth his own sheep, which means when he brings them out of the sheepfold, he goeth before them, and, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And then John adds in verse 6, This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. And then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. But by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So as I said earlier, it has taken us some time to finally get to the focus of these first ten verses of chapter 10, that the Lord is the door of the sheep. Now we have had to deal generally with the fact that Jesus is also the good shepherd of the sheep, and that has had its emphasis in these ten verses. But now we can truly concentrate on this important characteristic of Jesus. For now, he has presented himself as a tremendous contrast to the Pharisees whom he has labeled as thieves and robbers. But I want to spend just a little bit of time going back to something we talked about the first week in chapter 10. And I did it briefly then, but I'm going to be a little bit more specific now, and that is the character of the sheep. The character of the sheep, because this does have some significance as well here. So, we've read how the scriptures portray God's people symbolically. We've, we've gone over these passages. For example, Psalm 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So that, that is what we are to the shepherd. We are the sheep. Uh, in Isaiah 40, verse 11, it says that he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. And we also look at Psalm 95, verse 7. He is our dear, the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. But there's one question that we want to ask before we move on, and that is why does he compare us to sheep? Now, I know that we've, again, this is more of review than anything else, but I want to add some things to this review. Why does he compare us to sheep? Well, the, the first reason is something that we just finished singing a little while ago. And that is that we are prone to wander. We are prone to wander. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a characteristic of sheep that we, we'd rather not hear about, but it's something that we have to understand. We're prone to wander as sheep. Shepherds understood that sheep at times wanted just to go their own way. But secondly, we need a shepherd to guide us just like sheep do. So that's, that's the second point is that we, we need a shepherd to guide us. Sheep need someone to guide them. Just like sheep do, we need a shepherd. 
And thirdly, sheep flock together and, and so should we. This is why the church is so important. There's a lot of people who say, I don't need the church. Well, if you say that, then you're not really in agreement with what God says that we as sheep should be as far as members of the body of Christ. So with those thoughts in mind, and it's important to have those thoughts in mind before we enter into the rest of this chapter, or the rest of this passage, it brings us back to verses 4 and 5 of our text. This is where we left off, and this is where I want to pick up again. For Jesus said, And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. Now this is a very strong and, and powerful and authoritative statement that Jesus is making, that, the, that they won't hear the stranger's voice. So how does it, that compare to what we just said about sheep who pro, are prone to wander, need a shepherd, and, and need one another? Well, even though sheep may, pro, may be prone to wander, when the voice of the shepherd is heard, there is an attentive response. We might be prone to wander, but when the voice of the shepherd is heard, there is an attentive response. Now, let me interject here that sometimes sheep don't respond immediately because they've wandered off far enough not to be near the sound of the shepherd's voice. As in the case of the hymn writer Robert Robertson, who wrote, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It's a tremendous story of a man that was faithful to God, a, a man who, who loved the Lord with all of his heart and, and became a hymn writer. And, and of course, as, as you sang and read these words this morning, you realize his heart was not only one toward God, but one that realized that we as sheep need that shepherd. For he said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. After he had written this song, uh, this, uh, this hymn and, and, and a few other hymns, he began to backslide in his life. So far from the Lord he got that he actually walked away from his walk with the Lord. And one day he was taking a coach ride with someone. It was like, uh, you know... on a bus <laughs> nowadays but back then it was just a coach and they were traveling you know and there was a there was a young lady a young woman in, in inside the the coach who had a hymn book in her hands and in fact she was reading the words of come thou fount of every blessing and she was so excited about the words that she read that she pointed out to this man sitting next to her, have you ever heard this hymn? Have you ever read these words? And he sank, his head sank, and he said, yes, I wrote them. Now, you, are you seeing some work of God here? 
He had gone so far from the voice of God that he hadn't heard him until he came close to the voice of the shepherd again. The context of this conviction that came because the very hymn that he had written from his heart was now placed in front of him. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Obviously, this, this brought him back to his love for God and his love for Jesus. His love and service to the Lord would begin again. But isn't that just like the shepherd? To pursue us as far as he needs to go. To pursue us. So why do we eventually respond? Because we know his voice. Do you know the voice of your shepherd? You know, we hear it, and we should hear it, and read it, and see it every day of our lives. Here's the voice of the shepherd. A man in Australia was arrested and charged with stealing a sheep. But he claimed emphatically that it was one of his own that had been missing for many days. And when the case went to court, the judge was puzzled, not, not knowing how to decide the matter. At last, he asked that the sheep be brought into the courtroom. And then he ordered the plaintiff, who was the man who was, who was claiming that this man had stolen his sheep, he ordered the plaintiffs to step outside and call the animal. And the sheep made no response except to raise its head and look frightened. The judge then instructed the defendant to go to the courtyard and call the sheep. And when the accused man began to make his distinctive call, the sheep bounded toward the door. It was obvious, you see, that he had recognized the voice of his master. So anyone who has <clears throat> ever walked through a field where sheep are grazing is familiar with that trait. Simply, sheep are not drawn to strangers. They run from them. Now folks, we truly need to be suspicious of those who seek to approach the flock of God, but who really are strangers. Using a different figure of speech, Paul warned the Ephesian elders, who, by the way, were the shepherds of, of the church of Ephesus, and he warned them at Miletus with these words in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 to 31, that Luke recorded for us to see and to hear and to read. Wherefore, Paul said to them, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, all the counsel of God. Not just some of the counsel of God, but all the counsel of God. What was the counsel of God that Paul had in those days? It was the Hebrew Scriptures. Certainly there were some other books that had already been written that were inspired by the Holy Spirit that have now become the New Testament. But not all of them were there, but the Old Testament was. And he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore. Now here's the warning. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock. Look at the words that he's using. The flock of God. Over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. You see, these elders, as pastors of that particular church, as shepherds of that church, they weren't the shepherds 
he was the shepherd. In other words, God or, or Jesus was the shepherd, but they were the under shepherds. We are under shepherds. I'm an under shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. Please understand that. But we are overseers. To do what? To feed the church of God. Which he has purchased with his own blood. That was quite a price to pay for the church. So what are we called as shepherds to do? Feed the flock of God. Why? For I know this, verse 29. That after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Wolves coming into the church in sheep's clothing. If they came in as sheep, if they came in as wolves, we all know them. My, look at those teeth. My, look at those eyes. Well, they'd be spotted right away. So they come in in sheep's clothing. What is that? Deception. What is that? Stealth. What is it? Preparation for thievery. What did Jesus call anyone who didn't come in through the door? Thieves and robbers. And they don't come in to spare the flock. They come in to fleece the sheep and eat the sheep. Spiritually. And then he says in verse 30, Also of your own selves shall men arise. Now stop and look at that statement. Also of your own selves, those within your church, those within your congregations, they are going to arise from within your congregation, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Happens every day in the church, by the way. Nowadays, with social media, you discover that there are people out there calling themselves pastors and preachers and teachers and whatnot, and they're speaking perverse things, perverse things in a couple of ways. Perverse in the very fact that it's not the Word of God that they're giving you, but some perverse rendering of it. Or they're actually speaking perverse things because they say, well, we're afraid to say all this stuff. You know, we can, we can say this and that about someone or whatever, you know, in, in, in very graphic ways. Really? The scriptures tell us that we have to watch what we say. But these are all little signs, little indications of what we need to be discerning about, what we need to be watching about in this, in this, uh, in this time in which we live. And they do what they do to draw away disciples after them. And then he says, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. That warning continued. There are people today who are warning us. We've had some very good uh, friends of ours who have come to tell us about movements that are happening in the church uh, that, that are connected to the New Age movement, connected to things like contemplative prayer and, and books like, and, and I've said this many times, and I said, look, you know, you might, you might have this book, but I, I can tell you this, Jesus Calling is not a book that we should be reading because there's things that are put into that that are saying this is what Jesus is saying and, and, and we're hearing it. How did they hear it? How, did they, how are they writing it? Are they writing it because they're being channeled? Because it's very similar to God Calling, which was a channeled book, by the way. Folks, this, this is just outrageous. 
But you see, they're sold in Christian bookstores, so we think, well, it's a Christian bookstore, it ought to be okay. Really? How discerning are we? So we get upset at people. You know, some parts of the church today, they say, oh, you have all these discernment people. Well, you know what? They have a reason to do what they're doing. They're warning the church night and day with tears, just like Paul. And it is quite sad today that God's people are even more gullible than sheep. False doctrines are arising in the modern church today at an alarming rate, and church members are being taken in almost wholesale to heretical teachings and movements. And after a while, the stranger is no longer a stranger and becomes a threat to the flock. And Jesus made it clear that in the last days, those deceivers and their deceptions would target God's people. Matthew 24. I've gone over this before, so I'll do it very quickly. But Matthew 24, when he's speaking of the end times in the latter days, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name. That's deceptive. Saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Matthew 24, verse 11, and many false prophets shall arise, uh, shall rise and, and shall deceive many. Where would they be arising? Where people think they're hearing the word of God. Matthew 24, verses 23 and 24, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is the Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders. This is, this is what Jesus is saying. These are Jesus' words, not mine. Not Paul's, not John's. These are Jesus' words. Insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And it's sad to see how some people are, 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 are just being swayed by this. Even, even people that we know have been solid in times past. And so we as God's flock need to know the shepherd's voice. We need to know both his sound and his words. The sound of his voice will never be unclear or uncertain. It will never be weak or frail. It will never quiver. It will never be indecisive. The words of his voice are words of care and tenderness, of safety and of warning, of security and of truth. So believers trust the voice, the word of the shepherd. Trust the word of the shepherd. By the way, in John chapter 3, it was something we've studied a long time ago, but nonetheless, <coughs> excuse me, listen to verses 34 through 36. For he whom God has sent, now these again are the, are, are these, um, are the words of John, the Baptist. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. Did you hear that? He whom God has sent, speaking of Jesus, speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and has given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. So how clear then, that comes with warning as well as with, with prophetic uh, utterance. That the words of God are the words that Jesus is speaking, are the words that Jesus is giving us. And these are the words that we need to heed. 
So getting back to our text, the Apostle John now underlines the predicament of the Pharisees, which is that they are not only blind, but they're also deaf. They're dull of hearing. Notice verse 6. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. So they're hearing, but they're not listening. And they're not listening because they're not understanding. They were not only spiritually blind, they were spiritually deaf as well. They couldn't follow. They didn't apprehend the meaning of such a beautiful little illustration that Jesus presented them. So, so he went on to open things more fully for them. And, and one important ele element is revealed, one that would have been understood by all within the culture. And that would be that the shepherd becomes the door of the sheep. The shepherd becomes the door of the sheep. So it's not contradictory to say that Jesus is both the shepherd and the door. Because the shepherd must become the door of the sheep. And this is what Jesus emphasizes in verses 7 through 9. Where he says here in John chapter 10. Then said Jesus unto them again. Verily, verily. In other words, amen, amen. Truly, truly. Listen to what I have to say. Listen twice if you have to. But listen. I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now it's not the shepherd is the door. He says, I am the door. But we know he's the shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. <clears throat> I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now, you need to understand something about these verses in contrast to the first few verses of the chapter. What Jesus is now saying is that he's speaking of another sheepfold. He's speaking of another sheepfold. The understanding is that when you look at, at, at the uh, earlier statements that he had made, it was very clear that shepherds would take their sheep into a very common sheepfold, a very large common sheepfold. We talked about it earlier, where the porter knew the shepherd and the shepherd could call his own sheep and his own sheep would come out. So it was a common sheepfold in, in the first five verses there that Jesus had been talking about. But now it's become more specific. And the understanding here is that when the weather got warmer, and the weather gets warmer because there's still shepherds out there that do this, but when the weather gets warmer that the shepherds move their flocks further away from their common sheepfold, which is the one that all the shepherds would take their sheep into, and of course with their distinctive calls would call their own sheep out. So they would go further away from their common sheepfold to graze in greener pastures. The weather's better, which means they could stay out in, in the fields with their sheep at night. But they still needed to protect them. So to protect their sheep, they once again had to find some kind of a walled-off area for protection, be it a ravine surrounded by rocky walls or some kind of makeshift fold. But the shepherd himself, and this is where that example that I told you about last time, <clears throat> where Dr. Charles Piazzi Smith 
had gone to the Middle East back a couple of centuries ago or a century or two ago, uh, went over there to follow some shepherds because he wanted to see how the shepherds of his day were, if they were the same as the, as the uh, or the culture was the same as the culture of Jesus. And he followed a shepherd around and who took his, his sheep out into the, into the uh, desert areas, you know, to find greener pastures and all. And when he got to a sheepfold, he took his sheep in and then he became the door. He even said, when, when, when asked, you know, well, how are you going to protect the sheep? He says, you know, he says, there's no door. And, and, the, and the shepherd himself said, I am the door. So it was exactly then the same as it was in the time of Jesus. So the shepherd himself literally became the door for during the night. Now, now you have to take hold of this thought. During the night, he would simply lie across the opening. The sheep could only get out only by going over him. Which you wouldn't want to let you didn't want to let him do. You didn't want him to go wander out at night. So he stayed at the at the doorway so that they couldn't get over past him. And the enemies of the sheep could could get into the sheep only by going through him. They couldn't get any other way into that sheepfold except through him. And he wasn't going to let that happen. So access in or out was only through the shepherd. Access in and out was only through the shepherd. Now notice that Jesus doesn't say, I am a door. And he doesn't say, I am one of many doors. Right? You didn't see that, right? Look at your, look at your text. What does he say? I am the door. In other words, I am the only door of the sheep. So we know then that as a door, he is the, sh the protection of the sheep. And over and over and over again, we have seen in the Gospels, especially here in John, that Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the only way. He is the only door. To say that all roads lead to God, you must deny what the scriptures say. To say that all roads lead to God, you must deny what the scriptures say. And guess who would be wrong? I'll give you a clue. It isn't God. God's not going to be wrong here. Well, he's the only door. Just like he's the only way. He's the only door of the sheep. Take note again of the words, verily, verily. They stress the critical importance of what Jesus was about to say. By door, Jesus meant that he was and is the way or the entrance into the sheepfold. He alone is the way into God's presence. He alone is the way into God's acceptance. He alone is the way into salvation. He alone is the way into the true church. He alone is the way into heaven. He alone is the way into the kingdom of God. He alone is the way into eternal life. There is no other way. There is no other door. There is no other truth. And there is no other life. So if a person wishes to enter where God is, the true and the living God, not the gods of this world, they must enter the door 
of Jesus Christ. A person enters God's sheepfold only through the door of Christ. The only door into God's presence. And once again, I, although I've kind of quoted it, it's John 14, verse 6, where Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why? Because he's the only door. He's the way, the truth, the life, and the only door. The Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians 2, verse 18, For through him we have both access by one spirit unto the Father. The both that is referenced here is the Gentiles and the Jews. The Jews and the Gentiles, both. For through him we both have access by one spirit into the Father. Notice the, the unity of the, of the Godhead. Through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit into the Father. But through him. And then what he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, I think I've quoted this recently. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. One God, one mediator. Not many mediators. Not a few to choose from. Just one. And that's good. Because that one is perfect. That one is perfect. All others who claim to be the door are thieves and robbers. Because there are some who claim to be the door and have the way to God. They claim to know the right way and to have the newest ideas and the latest truth and knowledge. They claim to have the right uh, teaching, the right religion, the right works. They claim to have the right maturity and philosophy, the right psychology and ideas, and even novel concepts. And some of that has, again, through this weird openness that is happening in some churches today, it's flooding in the congregations. But as I said before, this involves deception. It involves deception that we need to be discerning about. You see, a thief that Jesus speaks of uses deception or trickery to get what they want. A robber uses violence to get what they want. So they don't add to life, but in fact, they take it away. As Jesus also referred to back in the first few verses of this chapter. They don't add to life. In fact, they take life away. And on the other hand, Jesus Christ, the true shepherd, what does he do? He gives abundant life. Verse 10. We'll get there in just a moment. He gives us abundant life if, listen, if we enter by him. If we enter by the door. If we enter in the way and in the truth and in the life. If we enter in by him, there's abundant life. And then there's liberty. There is a liberty that we have in Christ. And that freedom that keeps us from being weighed down by misinterpretations of the laws and rules and regulations that are used by religionists and legalists to suppress our love for the shepherd that we serve and we follow. That freedom keeps us from all of those things because freedom brings us to truth. And Jesus is the only truth. And his word is life. And the very fact is that some people even misinterpret liberty and freedom as if to say, now that we're Christians, we can do whatever we want. No, we have the liberty in Christ and the freedom in Christ to do everything that honors him and blesses him and gives him all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. 
That's our freedom. That's our liberty. Freedom from sin and guilt and death. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. But where are we today in those thoughts? I, I got to tell you, we, we as, as the church today, in, in, and I'm not saying we're the only church here that, that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I can tell you this one thing. There are a lot of people today who have compromised the word of God. And I just won't do that. We can't compromise the word. The word is the word. We got churches throwing political correctness at us. They're the ones that are having they're the ones that are making God have to be the one who has to repent. I'm sorry, God doesn't have to repent. We do. It is that love that we've been shown by our shepherd that keeps us by his side. What love would be that? Love, the same love I talked about last week. The love of a shepherd to take a sheep and break him. Break him until that sheep is healed. Healed from its stubbornness, healed from its desire to wander off. And when that time this healing is accomplished, the sheep is the one that stays the closest to the shepherd because the shepherd loved the sheep that much to give that sheep what it needed. This is why David, who was a shepherd, would cry out about the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. They're broken in a contrite heart. These, oh God, thou wilt not despise. That's how much our Savior loves us. That's why we stay by his side. Now you all might think, well, there's a lot of people that have been broken. They're trying to stay by his side. Folks, our shepherd's big enough. We can all be by his side. So just get by his side. Just get there. I want you to consider something. Turn to Jeremiah 23 for just a moment. Well, last week I mentioned that uh, these two prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, both had a lot to say about the false shepherds that were leading God's people astray. In fact, they led them so astray that they were put into uh, captivity. The northern kingdom in Assyria, the southern kingdom in Babylon. But I want you to see some things here in Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 4, where it says, Woe be unto the pastors or the shepherds that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastor, saith the Lord. Now again, these were the, these were the, the, the people that were raised up to lead the children of Israel in the word of God. Because that was what they were called to do. Feed the flock the word of God. Feed the flock of God. the nutrition that comes from the word of God. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. There again, it's that statement. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Now, the first thought that comes to mind with some people with that 
idea of visiting is that, you know, the only thing the pastors do is just go out and visit people. And there are some churches, you know, that have that kind of thing that they want to do that all the time, just go visit. Which is okay. I mean, there's not, nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing if you have the time to do it. But the context of, of, of what these pastors were supposed to be doing was what? The reason what you did when you visit was you fed the word of God. That was the whole purpose of visiting was to visit them with the word of God. How do we know this? Because notice what it goes on to say, behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings. Because they, when they visited, they were there to just, you know, actually take from the people. The heritage, the great heritage that God had given them in the understanding of the word of God. And then it says in verse 3, And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. Do you understand the context of what the shepherds are supposed to be doing? We talked about what shepherds do last week, right? It's a lot of things, but it begins with feeding the word of God because that's giving them the nutrition of God's word in their spiritual life. I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. This is why we can read, and by the way, I want you to read Psalm 23, and then I want you to read Psalm 23, and then I want you to read Psalm 23. And then after that, a few more times. Because I want you to understand when we say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. For what? To feed me. To satisfy me. And he does it every day. Every day. And if we sometimes feel dry or we feel empty, is it his fault or is it ours? Jesus, our good shepherd, and the door of protection for us is the only door that leads to an abundant life. Boy, how that word abundant has really been kind of taken out of shape. Because the first thing that comes to mind is dollar signs, things, possessions. Really? That's all that word means to you? The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. The word for life there is the word zoe in the Greek. Zoe. It is not the word bios, B-I-O-S. Bios is life also, but we know it to be biological life, physical life. Bios is the word from which we get the word biology, biological. But that's not the word that Jesus used. Abundant zoe. A life 
that is abundant spiritually. Spiritually. Biblically. Scripturally. Full and rich. And that they might have it more abundantly. Overflowing. What a sharp contrast between the thief and the true shepherd. <clears throat> the person who says there is another door is a thief and a robber. The person steals, kills, and destroys the sheep. For what? Dollar signs. Riches. Possessions. A lot of people stealing sheep today for the purpose of stealing from the sheep. The person that is a thief misleads and deceives the sheep, leading them through a door that leads to destruction. <clears throat> to take the wool in the life of the sheep, the false shepherds do all they can to secure the sheep's loyalty allegiance, possessions, time, effort, energy, recognition, praise, and honor. But the Lord, the true shepherd, what does he do? He throws a mantle of protection around his sheep. He not only protects his sheep, <clears throat> he satisfies his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's what that phrase, I shall not want, means. I, I don't lack anything. Because the Lord's my shepherd. And then Jesus, the shepherd, says, I'm come that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. But it is not only a mantle of protection. It is a mantle of benefits and supply for life. Spiritual benefits and spiritual supply for life. The doctrine of Jesus Christ is the one that tends to life because it is the true doctrine. The doctrine of the false shepherd tends to death simply because it neither comes for or, or comes from nor lead to that God who is the fountain of life. The God that we sang about today. Come thou fount of every blessing. And what we are now faced with, though many of us have already made this decision, what many are faced with today is that we can either choose life or we can choose death. Are these not the issues that Jesus brings up? When he says the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly? We can either choose life or we can choose death. I'd like to close by having you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. 
Deuteronomy chapter 30, it's the fifth book of the Bible, if you have both Old and New Testament. And I want you to look at verses 15 through 20, the words of Moses. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses says, See, I have said before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Now remember that Moses, having been the type of the law leading the people up to the promised land, he himself does not enter into the promised land. But Joshua, whose name is Yehoshua or Hoshua or Yeshua, the type of Jesus, is the one who leads a new generation into the promised land. So keep that in mind when he says to them, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But, notice the but here, but if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him for he is thy life. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. For he is thy life and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto the fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. And we know that the promised land itself is a type of eternal life or heaven. And you come not by unbelief, but by faith. You enter in by faith. Moses' point to the children of Israel was simply that to enjoy the life that God gives depends on their obedience to God's word. Not the words of the false shepherds that twist God's word to say what it doesn't mean. God's sheep are to please their shepherd. God's sheep are to love their shepherd. God's sheep are to walk in his ways. And God's sheep are to live under the blessings of their shepherd. Because really there's only one true shepherd. And his name is Yeshua, Jesus. And those who love him are right beside him 
walking with him, following him, being fed by him, growing in him, serving him, reflecting him. Today, the sheep of God need to stand strong. That's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he tells the church to take on the whole armor of God. That's for another time. But let me just say to you this morning that we have a great shepherd, don't we? But understand this. We are his sheep, and, and the world, all of the world's big guns are aimed at the church. The true church of Jesus Christ. The ones who say, hey, listen, I'm not going to be politically correct just to please man. I need to please God. And the world doesn't understand that or they don't want to understand it, so they, they'll come after us. This election next week or in nine days, it's a very critical one for this country and especially for the church. So we need to do what we need to do, which is first and foremost pray. Get God's wisdom and then get involved and get out there and vote. But still, remember this. The third thing we have to do is trust God. Trust him. Because he's not asleep. He knows what's going on. He knows where we are spiritually in this country. He knows what, what's happening. So trust him. But do what you need to do. And do it prayerfully. And I tell you what, if we do things prayerfully, and not just by, you know, by listening to Fox News or something else, you know, they're not our conscience. God has, has to, I mean, this is where we, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road, folks. We need to be in fellowship with God. We need to be in communion with our God. Be filled with His Spirit. Ask God every day to fill you with His Spirit, especially in the, in the days to come. But here's the thing. No matter what happens, we're still sheep, but remember this. Our shepherd is the Lion of Judah. So that's where our strength comes. That's from where our strength is, and that's where we need to abide. Abide in him. Because as the Lamb of God, he's already done what needed to be done. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. On the cross, he said, it is finished. The work that needed to be done is done. But now, we need to do our work. Not to be saved, but because we're saved, we need to trust the Lord and we need to follow him until the day that we hear the words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you will be also. That is what we as the sheep of this shepherd are to do. Keep looking. He's coming. He's coming. Are you excited about that? I hope you are. All right. Good.
Then let's pray.